MaxScholarsPublishing.com That uh, we should get our own. Once we have our own, uh, we're respected for the fact that we can create our own. And uh, that's equality right there. Start a record label, Miss Fish just did it. Whoa. Nylon, cover five minutes. Whoa, we are too hot in the business. Shay, Newton, welcome to the Black Scholars Podcast, a community for black educators everywhere, black and brown. I'm so glad to have you on the show. I've been wanting you on the show for a while. Uh, we've been uh, following each other on Instagram for a while. And I think I reached out a while back when I first started in the summer. I think I reached Mm -hmm. back a while back. Um, But I know you're super busy, and I'm just glad that we can finally get it together. Um, So thank you. Thank you for joining the show. And thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, let's get started with your journey. So how did you get into uh, education? What do you currently do? How did you get there? Okay. Um, So I'll try to give the short version. (laughs) Um, My journey to education was not traditional. So I started out um, as a behavior analysis major. I studied psychology. Then I went on and got a master's in social work. Um, But I knew I wasn't doing exactly what I needed to be doing, what my purpose was, my passion was. And so I joined uh, Teach for America. And I did two years in the classroom through Teach for America in Huntsville, Alabama. And then I went on to do three more years in the classroom and have recently transitioned out of the classroom. So May was my last time in the classroom. And I transitioned and got a job opportunity in Birmingham, where I now coach um, teachers in about 10 different schools for the Birmingham City Schools District. Um, And when I was in Huntsville, my five years in the classroom, I taught elementary, pretty much fourth through sixth grade um, was where I pretty much was. Did some kindergarten, but not too much. And while I was in the classroom, I got my um, certification in elementary education. And then I recently got my certification in instructional leadership. So, yeah, interesting journey. But, you know, went around the world only to end up doing what I know I was supposed to be doing, which is education. Awesome. And so you stated that you have your admins license right now. Say it again. I'm sorry. You have your administrator's license right now. Yes. What's the what's the plan for that? You're going to work for the state or the board or do you want to be a principal? Huh. I feel like that always seems to change. My current plan is to um, become an assistant principal, then a principal. Um, that's what I think I want to do. But every time I get more exposure and I talk to more people um, at different levels in the district, I'm kind of thinking about going to the district level. Um, nice. So still up in the air. But right now I'm thinking about school administration. I'm glad you. I'm. I'm very glad that you shared that. Um, I feel like, in my experience with my peers and people I've worked with in the past, it seems like. And I'm in Memphis, Tennessee, by the way. Um, okay. It, it feels like once you get your admin's license, and I'll be working on mine next year. It feels like the only path you can take is, uh, you know, get out of the classroom in whatever capacity you mm-hmm. can, and maybe that might be. And I'm actually a learning coach 
for my school, but I also teach English, so I'm still in the classroom, and I do additional duties as well. But if you can get a position outside of the classroom that's not uh, quite, you know, assistant principal or principal yet, you know, people take that role, and then they're looking for the assistant principal position, then they're looking for, you know, head principal opportunity. It feels like that's the only way we can get um, our worth. I, I talk a lot about money on this show because I want to be open and mm-hmm. candid. Um, and it's, it's something that like, it's starting to become like a huge life purpose for me is like, okay, they're not going to pay us what we're worth. So how can we go get what we're actually worth and still do the mm-hmm. meaningful, impactful work that we do day in, day out. Um, so that's become my life's mission, <laughs> at least right now. Um, but yeah, so I'm glad that you shared that you're interested in going to work for the district because that is an option for a lot of people um, with admin license and they, they don't realize it. Um, there's also an opportunity, and I know you said you were in Alabama, to work for the state. There's a lot yeah. of opportunities with the state, um, even as a classroom teacher. You know, I've worked with the state in part-time, small um, seasonal positions and being able to go to Nashville, uh, for a weekend or for a week, depending on how long and work on different projects. So there's definitely some additional money to be made there. And there are definitely some full-time careers at the state level as well. Um, and if you really are ambitious, you could actually, you know, department of education, like the, the, at the federal level, you know, if you, if you want to really take it, take a challenge. So, uh, I'm glad you shared that. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, absolutely. And I'm glad you shared that because I didn't even realize it was so many opportunities beyond where I was thinking with the district level and the school level. So it's clearly a lot more money out there and is limited knowledge on how to access it. Right. Have you done any work with the state of Alabama's Department of Education? I'm just curious. No. No, I haven't. You should. You definitely should, especially with what you okay. do. You definitely should. So let's get into what you actually do. So what is the title or um, what's the actual title of your role that you have right now? Okay, so I am a manager of teacher leadership development. So it's actually a position through Teach for America, which is how I got into the classroom. Right. Um, and so the teachers that we have in different schools throughout the district, and I believe I have 10 or 12 schools. I'm not, I can't really remember. Um, but I'm responsible for coaching them instructional wise, um, different things dealing with like classroom management, just preparing them to be a better teacher. So that's for the short version of what I do. Now, the teachers that you're coaching, Boy, me and mm-hmm. you got a lot in common. The teachers that you're coaching, are they Teach for America cohorts? Yes, they are. So it's okay. So it's not just random teachers that, you know, a principal gives you a list. These are TFA members, cohorts, correct? Yes. So my okay. primary teachers are the TFA cohort, but okay. we partner with different schools depending on the school's needs. I do coach and service other teachers as well. But my primary responsibility is the teachers that are in the Teach for America cohort. Awesome. Awesome. And so um, and I'm not familiar with Alabama's general education rubric. What is that called that uh, is based on the the observations are based on? Um, Are you talking about Educate Alabama? Um, So like in Tennessee, we use the team model which Mm -hmm. is basically like a rubric when admin um, or the instructional facilitator comes in, does a drop-in, they're doing an observation, whether it's official or not. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of how they score you, which is a part of your effectiveness at the end of the year. How does that work in Alabama? (laughs) 
um, the what we use right now is called Educate Alabama, and through Educate Alabama is a certain rubric that we use to quote unquote um, observe and rate how a teacher is performing. Um, is everyone using it to fidelity the way that it should be used? Probably not. I'm going to make a general statement. Um, but that's what the the platform we should be using. Okay. And so the scores, you know, depending on, you know, if it's a brand new educator, maybe they get observed officially four times by their admin. Um, mm-hmm. Besides being, you know, observed by you, if they're a TFA uh, co-member or cohort, rather, um, they're they're supposed to be using that rubric. So do you feel like some admin at different schools are not using that? Absolutely. You you said that they're not using it? Yeah, not typically. So like using the rubric as far as like when I go in the classroom and I'm looking to see these things okay. versus I'm going in the classroom, I'm going to look around, then I'm going to go back and check some stuff off of the rubric. Does that make sense? Okay, I got you. I got you. So do you think that they're not using it to its fullest uh, fidelity, as you state, um, because of a lack of training or is it laziness or what's going Um, on? From my personal lens, after being here six years, I think it's a combination. Um, I do think uh, some administrators mean well, but a lot of times they're not getting in the classrooms. They don't have a clear picture of what it is they should be evaluating. Um, some of them are not making the time for that and putting their energy elsewhere. And then for some people, I think it is a lack of knowledge and understanding of like what this tool is and how to effectively utilize this tool. Now, see, that's making me sad and a bit worried and concerned as well. So, um, does this count these scores that they're getting from their administrators? Is this a part of their official, uh, effectiveness score at the end of the year? Yes. And do you know the percentage that it accounts for? That part, I'm not. I'm not sure. Okay. And um, as far as testing is concerned, with the with the standardized statewide testing, high stakes testing for Alabama, do you know the testing company that you guys use? Um, we recently have within the past year. It's now Scantron. Uh, when I was in the classroom, it was STAR and ACT, Explore. Okay. Um, they recently have transitioned. That's one thing about Alabama. We don't really stay with the test long enough for it to be effective, in my opinion. Okay. Um, so as of this, my last year in the classroom, we did a test run with Scantron. So this should be the full year that they're using Scantron um, across the board. So, yeah. Okay. And, and how long have you been out of the classroom? Uh, since May. <laughs> Since May of last year? Yeah. Of this year? No, of this year. Of this year. Okay, so this is your first full year in this current role? Correct. Okay, awesome. And and how are you enjoying it? I'm enjoying it so far. Um, you look like you're having fun. I'm not going to lie. I, I get a little yeah, jealous. I, I'm like, let me hit I'm her up. I'm enjoying the flexibility. <laughs> I miss my students. I will say that. You yeah. Know, one of my things that I uh, really enjoyed about the classroom was the relationships that I had with students. And so now working with teachers, I still see students, but it's not the same. Um, So I do miss that um, and being able to have a direct impact in that way. But it's working out really well. And um, I just want to make one quick um, correction. So I have to remember I'm not in Huntsville anymore. So in my former district, they the statewide uh, assessment is the ACT. So the entire state still uses ACT. But my district transitioned from the ACT and used the Scantron. Okay, gotcha. 
Gotcha. That makes sense. So, um, what? So, run us through like what's a typical day in the role that you currently have with TFA? Like, what's your current like the day to day duties? You wake up, you get there. Like, do you do you start when school starts, or you get there at nine o'clock? Like, run us through that, please. Okay. Um. So a typical day depends. Um, I create schedules with my teachers on, you know, when I'm coming to do classroom observations, things like that. So I typically, I mean, I start my day um, when school starts, but I don't necessarily go in the classroom until they're actually teaching content. And then I go in the classroom, do observations. Sometimes I have three or four people, depending on how many teachers are at that school. Um, go from there. I love Starbucks. So I typically go to a Starbucks. And then I like debrief my own notes from the observation, then prepare for our discussion, do some research on resources and materials that the teachers can utilize to enhance whatever areas that they're struggling in. Um, then I meet with teachers that same day, either during their planning period or during, after school, depending on the school. Um, and we kind of discuss what I saw, you know, areas for growth, what things are going well, and come up with a plan to improve. Um, and that's pretty much the cycle that I go through with all my teachers. And then for some teachers, they're performing really well. And so we do things like group coaching, peer-to-peer um, -peer coaching. It just kind of depends on what that individual teacher needs. So kind of how I differentiated when I was in the classroom, that's what I do with my teachers as well. So, um, and you said you might have three or four for that day. Are you staying mm -hmm. for the entire class, the entire lesson? Um, it depends. Uh, I like, you don't have to stay. I like to stay as long as I can to get a full picture because I know what I felt like as a teacher when you would come in for 10 minutes and right. then leave and try to give me this full report of like what I'm doing well or not well. Right. Um, so I depend on what the area, like a teacher may do need well with actually delivering the content or um, the independent work part of the lesson or the beginning. It just depends on that teacher. But in the beginning, I stay for the full lesson so I can get a holistic view. Okay. And you said you would meet with them and coach them. And when you say peer-to-peer -peer coaching, is that peer coming from you or do you have them like if a, a teacher is let's say teacher a is struggling with pacing do you have them go see teacher b who is awesome at pacing their lessons and instruction um so it depends so if a teacher is struggling with pacing i can pair them up with either somebody in their school who does well with pacing we can um do outsourcing where they get to go to a different classroom and see that or they'll actually, after school, pair with somebody that I know who does really well with pacing. And okay. that's what I mean by the peer-to-peer -peer coaching. So they can get insight from a teacher who is doing well in that area and give them strategy on that. So it's kind of like tackling different aspects, giving them their peer resources and using me as a resource as well. How I mean, maybe at this point, but when you initially started, how comfortable were your um, mentees and, and receptive were they of you observing them? <laughs> um, I always think it's some initial pushback. Um, as people, you know, we don't really want people like coming to observe us and being in a space of vulnerability to judge us. Um, but I, before I even go in the classroom, I have meetings with the teachers um, before they get into the instruction part and just kind of set the tone, set expectations, norms, get to know them a little better. It's usually like an hour discussion. Um, and so that kind of breaks the ice before I actually walk into the classroom because I'm big on relationships. Just like with students, I think you got to have that with teachers as well before you can go in and start being critical. A hundred percent agreed. Um, and so how frequently do you get the opportunity to, you know, observe a specific teacher? Mm -hmm. um, in the beginning of the year, so the first quarter, I try to see everybody at least 
once, twice a month. Um, and then based on their needs, so then I kind of take the data that they have with their students, um, based on what I'm seeing in the observations, whether they're getting better or staying stagnant or getting worse. And then I prioritize them. So some people I see now every two weeks, some people I see once a month, if they're doing really well, I may not see their classroom, um, on a me coming in observation level, um, that month, but we'll have contact. So it may be some small group sessions on, um, professional development with like grading, you know, grading work or how to backwards plan, that type of stuff, depending on what the teacher needs. So it's after the initial observation, everybody kind of gets prioritized based on what their needs are. Now, outside of actually doing the observations, and I love Starbucks too as well. I know you <laughs> said that you, you know, like to go Starbucks and debrief um, before you get the opportunity to meet with them. But is there ever a time where you're just in, I guess, a TFA office? Yeah, so I have the opportunity to go to an office. Um, I personally like working in certain settings. Um, I'm more of an introvert, so I like to be more in my own space. Um, so, yeah, Same. we have an office, and I can work there, but I just choose to go to Starbucks. <laughs> now, so, okay, so if you, you, you say you prioritize the teachers, uh, so sometimes mm -hmm. you're seeing one a lot more frequently than another. You're in constant communication with them. Um so what else what else are you doing besides just looking at the data and doing the observations? Um, what's the what's the administrative part of your job? So the professional development piece as well. So okay. I actually do sessions on professional development. Okay. Um and and I base that based on the needs of the teachers. So sometimes I rarely do one-on-one -on -one sessions because most of the time if one teacher is experiencing the issue, it's somebody else that's having the same problem. Um, and so we do different development cycles virtually, in person. Um, I have some schools where, you know, the principal really likes what I'm doing with it, with my teachers. So they've asked me to come in and do sessions for the whole school. So it really just depends. But the administrative part really comes into the actual session planning, um, getting the resources so that they can continue to, their training in the area that they need. So a couple of things. So one, you must have been an awesome uh, TFA member um, and, and teacher, uh, even after you finish your two-year commitment, um, in order in order for you to get this role. But I'm curious, what what sparked your idea? Did they come to you with this opportunity, or were you looking to get out of the classroom? Like, kind of walk us through that. What was your thought process? Okay. Um. So, like I said, I did my two years, and then you know I I loved the classroom, stayed in the classroom. Um. But I always knew. Uh, I wanted to transition into leadership and for a lot of different reasons. I'm going to be real transparent. Um, Please. One is, you know, I was an effective teacher, but I realized that I was only affecting the students that were privileged to be in my class. And I saw mm. the issues happening outside of my class that I had no influence on. Um, and so I knew I had to get to a system level to be able to impact students the way I wanted to. That's the first part. The second part is being totally honest. You don't make a lot of money as a teacher. Facts. And so talk about it. Think of like, the trajectory of like staying in the classroom, I was like, you know, for me, when I got into the classroom, I had a bachelor's degree, two master's degree degrees and a certification. And I'm making, you know what I'm saying? Like $50,000 or right. less a year. Right. That doesn't work for me. Right. So I knew in order to be able to stay in education and do the work that I know I'm passionate about, but also have a livable wage, I had to transition out the classroom. Um, right. And then you have administrative issues. You know, administration, I think, is like one of the 
key pieces to change in school, to transform into school. And I went through a lot of administrators who weren't, um, who taught me a lot of like what not to do. Let me say it like that. Um, and so, <laughs> and so being under someone consistently like that, I was just ready for a change. I was in school. I was getting my certification. I wanted to be an assistant principal. I actually got offered assistant principal positions, but I also felt like I wasn't comfortable enough going from teacher to AP, I wanted to have more experience outside the classroom yeah. and actually working with teachers before getting into that role. Do I think I would have been capable? I mean, you know, I think I would have been successful, but I wanted to have a little more experience doing something else before being responsible for so many people, if that makes sense. Of course. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And uh, I can relate to so much of everything that you've said. Anybody who's <laughs> ever listened to this podcast, teachers, we definitely got to get our money up. And I'm not saying that everyone has to you know run into administration or run into leadership or or run out of the classroom you know there's different ways to figure things out i've commented before like there are teachers who are involved in uh investing in real estate and day trading and stocks and bonds and so they're making a killing doing that i know myself personally i got my own business i also sell cars part-time so i gotta do okay. what i gotta you know i gotta do what i gotta do because like you said like you know you got all of these degrees and i got two master's degrees myself and i got a year in the doctorate program and i'm going to finish that but it's like you got all of these credentials, all of these accolades, and that paycheck is not not hitting. And, and at first, it's a little bit of guilt. Like, let's be honest, yeah. like, it's a little bit of guilt. You're like, but I didn't go into it for the money. But you know, mm-hmm. and, but I'm highly effective at what I do. I love what I do. I'm passionate. But I need some more money. Like, let me just be real. I need some more money. Yep. Um. And so, you know, for each educator that's listening, you have to determine what that path's going to be, what that niche is going to be. Um, I would never tell somebody just go do something just because they'll make more money. Like, don't go into being a principal if you don't want to deal with parents and superintendents and the board and the, you know, if you don't want to deal with that, you don't need to be a principal. You need to find something else within education. If you love it, that is going to naturally fit you. And I always say, just authentically be you, um, my own journey. Again, I'm going into a leadership program next year. Um, is I finally got that calling. You know, this is year nine for me. So it took me a minute wow. to get that calling. I finally got that calling. When did you get that calling? Because I know you did your two years for TFA, and I know you were four years in the classroom after that, correct? Uh, so I did a total of five years in the classroom. Five years. So w- when that calling hit you? Um, are we talking about the calling for leadership or the calling for leadership? leadership. Um, it hit me around about... I mean, I've always felt that way, kind of like in the back of my head, but it really hit me year two going into year three Um, when we changed leadership at my school. We changed um, superintendents at my school. It was just a lot of craziness Mm. happening in my district at that time. Um, And year after year, you know, I'm seeing my kids do really well on my assessments and on the state like I'm working my butt off to get them where they need to be and mm-hmm. then the next year depending on who that teacher was it was like they didn't progress at all and right. so for me it was like wait a minute okay I'm doing all this hard work and trying to get students to a certain level but it's bigger than just one classroom that's when right. I really realized like you can do all you can but if the person before you and the person after you mm-hmm. isn't set up to be successful in a certain way it's, it's, it's a revolving door. And so yeah. I was like, okay, these four walls, I can only do what I can in these four walls. My real impact has to happen 
for what I wanted to do has to happen at a larger level. Um, and so, yeah, that's what kind of kickstarted. Like, like, okay, let's get in a program. Let's get this ball rolling. If you don't mind me asking, where did you go for your um, leadership program? Um, Sanford University. It's um, in a private school in Birmingham, Alabama. Okay. Now, was that online or was that hybrid or you had to go to class every every week? Um, so they were in Birmingham and I was in Huntsville at the time. They actually had cohorts in Huntsville. Okay. Um, and so I was a part of the cohort. Um, they had one for Huntsville and Madison. And so I was a part of that cohort. So we went to class twice a week. Okay. Okay. And was this your, so this would have been your second master's then? No, this would have been, <laughs> this was, so it was actually an extension to my master's. I could have oh, gotten okay. a third master's, but. I was like, no, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the yeah, that's the that's so the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, that's the exact same okay, thing I'm yeah. dealing with. Um, because I've got two masters, and of course, one of them is in education. And the program that I'm looking at, they're like, hey, mm-hmm. you can get another master's degree, and I'm like, why? <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> make sense. I don't want another master's degree. Uh, I'm done with the masters. I have mastered the masters. Okay. I don't exactly. need any more. Um, but thankfully they have a, uh, licensure only program. So that sounds like that's what you did. Just the licensure yeah. only part. Mm-hmm. Okay. Was that, how long was that program? Um, it was from summer to summer. So it was, uh, about a year and a semester. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The same. Uh, it's a uh, three semester, so I'll be done within a year. And then, uh, once I finish that, then I can get back to my doctorate program. Cause awesome. that's exciting. I'm following my passion and also making sure that I can, uh, increase the pockets as well. Um, but still doing what I love, still doing what I love. So that's important. So with all of the traveling that you have done, um, and the teachers you've helped and the schools you've been in and districts and whatnot, how many, honestly, like black and brown faces are you seeing in these classrooms or just in the schools, period? Um, are we referring to students or adults? Oh, I'm sorry. Teachers, educators, educators. Mm, not as many as I would like to see. Um, so I primarily have only been I've been in one non-Title One school, but my experience has pretty much been in Title One schools. OK. Um, and majority of those teachers, I say about every school I've been in, at least 80 percent of those teachers were um, Caucasian. Okay. And the other 20 percent was they were depending on how they identify, but most of them were black, black female teachers. And how would you describe the student body, the student demographic? Um, in almost every school that I was in, even now with coaching, about over 95% of the students are um, African-American students. And then wow. you have your Hispanic students, some Asian, very few white students. Right. Very few. And wow. in some schools, I have yet to see any. Wow. Um, let's, let's dig a little bit deeper into that. How many African-American males have you seen in these classrooms as educators? Hmm. Actually a large number. So I worked from elementary through high school. And when I say a large number, it's kind of a, it's not balanced, if that makes sense. So like one class may have 16 boys in it in a class of 25, but then another class will have five boys in it in a class of 32. So it's, it's, very unbalanced. Um, oh, no, I, I, meant the, I meant the educators. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm no, definitely on students. <laughs> <laughs> you're good. You're good. Um, say it's 
ask me the question one more time. You said how many male Yeah, how, ma- how many African-American male educators are you saying? Oh, gosh, <laughs> no. Um, I think in my experience, I may have seen a total of five in the course of six years being in three different districts. Okay. Um, and as teachers, two. The rest wow. of them were administration. Wow. And, and when you say teachers, do we at least mean core subject teachers or are we talking PE? <laughs> um, one was a coach uh-huh. and one was a core teacher. Okay. Um, okay. Who was actually my teammate. So, yeah, one was a core teacher. Yeah, I work in a district and I've been in the same district. This is year five for me in this district uh, in, in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, and there are a total of, including myself, I'm not lying when I say this. People always think I'm lying. Um, four. Wow. Four. Oh including including admin and teachers. There are four African-American males, including myself, in my school district. So when people always wow. ask me, where did you get the idea for the podcast, man? I love the show. And I'm like... Anything you create, whatever business, whatever product, whatever service, you know, you're writing a book, whatever it is, you literally just have to see, you know, what's the void? What's the problem? Mm-hmm. There's none of us. There's none wow. of us. Wow. Uh, and the African-American uh, women that we do have that teach uh, in the district, most of them are at the elementary level. We don't have many at the, the high school or middle school level. Most of them are at the mm-hmm. elementary schools. Okay, smell test. Arms up. Good. Got arms up. Good. Arms up. Arms down. You think it's your undershirt? Well, it's your overshirt, too, because it's blended in with the other clothes you have on. I'm going to need you to call your mama. Let's read a book, kids. Once upon a time, there was soap, and the kids loved it. You need to go outside and air out. I need to get a stipend for smelling this. Do your mama smell you when you get out the tub? Or you sneak out the tub? <clears throat> Y'all done woke up my allergies. That smell... Is a level one offense. I'm writing you up for that. You have a distinct tang about you today. Do y'all do this on purpose? I done grown a second set of nostrils. What you have for breakfast? Some poop loops? This is for a grade. I'm gonna spray this and everybody gonna walk through. Easy A. Did you dip your jacket in methane? You been drinking hot dog wiener water? Well, I gotta take a BC powder and I ain't got no hangover. So, um, it's an issue. So, I wanted to ask you, I said all that to say this. What's the problem? Why aren't there more of us? in general and why aren't there more African American males in these in these positions as well too? Hmm. I think the so I think it's a few different things that contribute to why we have an issue with black people being in education. Um I think one is the lack of opportunity and pathways in leadership. So we kind of spoke about that earlier on like not knowing what's out there, what we have access to. Mm-hmm. We're going to school, we racking up these student loans only to get in a position that financially cannot support us. Right. Um, and I think another reason is that there is bias when we talk about placement, right? So one thing that I was really good at when I was in the classroom was classroom management. Um, and what I noticed is that when we do have opportunities, it's always in the schools that are most challenging. Yep. Um, it's always to be a disciplinarian or something surrounding behavior and not really being able to 
exercise our other skills, our actual instructional skills. Like we're not able to actually do other things that we're good at. It's like, oh, you're black. You must be good at behavior. Let's put this for you over here. Um, and that's what I've seen in my personal experience and just even talking to other educators who have shared similar experiences. Oh, that's so sad. Uh, so I guess the one option to fix it, obviously, is to pay more. That would definitely mm-hmm. help. Um, and it sounds like another potential solution would be is to respect the educators and the many gifts that they have and talents and not just automatically assuming like, oh, you're black. You must be great at classroom management. That's not true. Right. I've seen black uh, teachers who are not great yes, at classroom management so at all, <laughs> like quite the opposite. So and I've seen white educators. I've seen peers who are white and they and they hold it down like they do a great job in their classroom and they don't have to deal with kids playing around because the kids know like don't try her like she's not playing right like, don't, don't even try um so okay so that's interesting that's interesting so <clears throat> where i want to go with that what do you think is the biggest not even focus on, you know, us as African-American educators, but just in education in general, what do you think is the biggest issue right now that we've, we've got to tackle or deal with? Mm. Ooh. Um, I think one of the biggest issues, I think there are a ton. And so I'll, I'll speak to the one that I'm kind of passionate about right now, um, which is this whole argument, discussion, ideology about, equality versus equity you Mm. know for so many years we've been fighting for we want equality we want to be equal yada 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 and so now we're seeing more things on paper that look equal but now the discussion has to change course and it needs to be about equity because when you're thinking about the schools that i work in specifically i'm working in non-title i mean in title one schools i'm working in schools that are in lower socioeconomic communities and the things that other schools may need to be successful are not what our schools are needing And so for me, I just feel like it's a a huge issue that's being overlooked a lot of times, which kind of is like a root cause of like why we aren't seeing the type of transformation at different school levels that we desire to see. Because if you're thinking about like, for example, in the classroom, you can have 25 students, you're not going to do the exact same thing for those 25 students. You're going to do what we call differentiate the instruction to meet the needs of those students. Mm -hmm. But when you get to the school in the district level, we're not differentiating anything to meet the needs of individual schools. Everybody gets the same curriculum. Everybody gets the same resources. But what school A needs may not be what school B needs to support their students. So I think really dealing with an equity piece of like what should education look like from that lens is kind of like where I'm kind of parking my parking my seat at right now and trying to figure that out. Do you have, and, and um, thank you for sharing that, do you have any aspirations of uh, acquiring your doctorate, doctorate of education or PhD? So the answer is yes. Um, being transparent, my issue with it is thinking about more student loan debt <laughs> and if you. it's going mm-hmm. to pay off. You know, like um, that is what I desire to do. But again, to your point of like me not really knowing what's out there, what opportunities I have um, across the board. I have to I've been sitting around like, wait a minute now, if you go do this, that's more debt. Are you going to make enough to be able to compensate for that debt? So that's kind of where my brain has been at. But yes, I do desire to get one. That's awesome. And because um, I feel like the what you just said, the, the debate with the equity and the equality like that is a discussion that 
needs to be expounded, investigated, written, discussed, researched, peer-reviewed, all that. And I think you might have something strong for a dissertation on that because that's a subject that we need to we need to have more um, actual text about. And I'd love to right. see you create something like that. So just an idea. Um, okay. And, and to your point on the, that's one reason why I stopped because my son was being born. I stopped my doctor program after a year and I'm like, wait a second. Nope. We got to stop this. Cause I know with kids come bills. So I'm like, right, let me stop right now. Um, mm-hmm. And so then I've been kind of like looking for, a program that I don't have to take student loans out for, um, that is affordable. Um, and you know, there's not so many fully funded or even partially funded doctorate programs out there. There are some, my goal is to actually create a list, um, in the United States. So no matter where you live in the United States of in your state, what doctorate programs are, if not fully funded, partially funded, um, and so the only reason I can speak about going back to finish my doctorate degree is because I found a different school that actually will pay up to 75 percent, um, which oh, wow. is part of a minority fellowship program. Uh, so basically, if you're underrepresented, you're a minority, you will you will get that funding. Um and, and, you know, it was hard for me to find that. And to be honest with you, I'm in Tennessee. This program I found is actually in uh, in, in Mississippi. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it's just not that far of a drive. You know, Memphis, Tennessee to pretty much mm-hmm. anywhere in Mississippi is not, not that far of a drive. Um, but that, you know, that's a sacrifice, too. But, you know, we should know where those programs are in Alabama, Kentucky, Georgia, you know, Illinois, right. wherever you're at, California, wherever you're at. So that's my plan is to organize that. Um, it's going to take some time to put together, but I'm definitely working on that. So thank you for sharing yes. that. Um, it's going to be a great resource. Thank you for doing that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So with with all of your experience that you've had uh, in the classroom and now outside of the classroom, um, what's one thing you would recommend for black and brown educators to either read or listen to or watch, whether that's a, a book or documentary or what's something that was pivotal in your career? Hmm. Um, being totally honest, I don't think one piece of literature was um, huge for me. Um, I think for me, what really allowed me to have like broader experience through the lens of other people was listening to a lot of different podcasts catered specifically to um, black teachers, um, attending webinars, seminars, conferences. Um, I have to think and try to go back and think of some names of some, but um, I don't think, I, for me, like I said, I, I didn't necessarily have one specific book that just like was an aha moment for me. Sure. Um, it was more so being able to listen to a variety of experiences. Um, so for black educators, I would definitely say if you're not already tapped into the podcast network, if Please. you're not tapped into um, going to conferences, a lot of times we look at conferences as, oh, that's money being spent, but it's an investment in your knowledge and your mm-hmm. skill set. Um, and I've gained so much in just being in the room with people um, and being able to ask questions um, that have ultimately led me down the path that I'm on now. Like I told you before, I got into education, knew nothing about education, and so a lot of where I am today is through meeting people, networking, putting myself in positions and spaces to actually learn as much as I can. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely highly encourage whatever your subject is. I'm pretty sure there is a conference out there. There's a national organization out there. Uh, I'm an English teacher. So, you know, NCTE, I couldn't go to it this year. Last one I went to was in Atlanta a couple of years ago. And uh, I still keep in contact with some of the people that I met. I still have some of the resources I was able to obtain um, at that conference. Like it's huge. It will change your teaching. It will change your career. Um, you just never know who you'll meet. You might decide Absolutely. to move and, you know, that might be a resource for you, you know, connect with these people, find them on LinkedIn. Hey, remember me from the conference? You know, mm-hmm. um, you just never know. So don't limit yourself. So yeah, that, that's definitely a big one. And podcast, I'm going to throw a shout out to Dr. Woodley. I don't know if you listen to this, but, uh, have you heard of urban and educating? podcast. I haven't. You said Dr. Woodley? Dr. Woodley, yeah. Urban and Education, uh, Educating with Dr. Woodley. He also just published a book called Move the Class. He's actually a professor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a professor. Uh, I believe he has a, a K-12 background, but he's a professor right okay. now. So yeah, definitely check that out, listeners, <laughs> Urban and Educating with Dr. Woodley. So, you know, and people, you know, people might say, oh, but you've got a black podcast. Why are you promoting other black black podcasts? Well, because it's not a competition. It's about mm-hmm. helping your target demographic. It's about helping each other. That's what it's supposed to be about. Like, I much rather have a black Wall Street than have you know everything be divided. Yes. And, no, these are my listeners, and you can't listen to any other podcast. No, I expect you to listen to. <laughs> I listen to other podcasts, so why wouldn't I want you to listen to other podcasts? I want everybody. Right. I want everybody to. If the information is good, the content's good, and it helps you. Why not? Why not? So absolutely. Definitely. Thank you for those recommendations. Um, so last thing I'll ask you, um, what's one thing you'd like to leave with anyone listening, a uh, black educator, whether they're a veteran or maybe this is their first year teaching, what's one thing you want to say to them um, or recommend? Mm. Um, the one thing that I'll leave is first and foremost, just knowing that we're needed. Um, it's not enough of us in the profession. Um, and our students, our black and brown students need to see more of us in the classroom. Um, and even though this work is hard at times, it is a lot to bear. It is a social service type profession. Um, I would just want to leave educators on knowing the importance of self-care, um, something that I mm. sucked at my first year. Um, that it's important to do this work, but it's also important to take care of yourself and do what you need to be whole. Um, and to to your point earlier, to make sure you find means to be successful in other areas. So if financially you feel like I can't do this profession because I need the money, begin looking at multiple streams of income in other areas. We're talented. We have so much to bring to the table. You do so much in the classroom already. So just be begin to look deeper at like, what am I good at? What skill sets do I have? And how can I give this back to the world and flip it and make that income? So that would be what I would leave to new educators, veteran educators, just anybody that's in this work for our students. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. Well, that was perfect. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so excited. I got an opportunity to speak on it. Um, Just my experience and 
I'm really passionate about this work and I appreciate you for what you're doing, giving black people a platform to be able to speak on our experiences and actually learn from one another. So kudos and shouts out to you. Thank you. I appreciate that. But yeah, I see, I see you doing your thing. And I'm like, man, she's having too much fun. I'm sitting her at Starbucks. She's traveling. <laughs> she's partying. I'm like, man, let me find out what she is doing. I got to get her on the show. And like I said, I tried to get you on uh, beforehand, but you know, back to school has just been crazy. And now I'm just now getting everything organized. The kids are right. meeting expectations. And I'm like, okay, now I can get back into um, what I love to do, which is uh, outside of classroom is this podcast. So I appreciate it. Yeah, you're, you're a rock star. You are a rock star. And I really wish I was thinking about some of this stuff while I was in the classroom. But again, you know, I appreciate you being able to speak on these things because I didn't even like for me, a second job was I need to go work at Target or I need to go work at a, yeah. a clothing store and not realizing, hey, you know, starting a business is a real thing. You can do that and still be a teacher. Absolutely. So I think the more we know, the more we grow. So I appreciate opportunities and platforms like this that really expose the things that we may not already be exposed to. What can I say? Mamba out. Thank you for listening to the Black Scholars Podcast. For more information, Sometimes go to blackscholarspublishing.com. You just gotta go. You will never know what you could ever be. If you never try, you will never see. Stayed in Africa.